You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about Jesus Lazardo's debut. The hometown kid picks up the win in his first outing, goes five innings, only gives up three runs, four hits, five strikeouts, and again, picks up that win in his first outing. So going to talk about the good, some areas where he needs to improve a little bit, but the overall positive message from that first outing from Jesus Lazardo. And again, the Marlins just have so much pitching and Jesus Lazardo has as good a stuff as anybody in this Marlins system. Anybody in the Marlins system, and I'll talk about why, and then also a little bit about the other guys, right? We have some other debuts, Alex Jackson making his first appearance behind the dish, also Brian De La Cruz. He has been getting a steady diet of at-bats so far, and then how could I forget Lewis Brinson, who drove in five runs yesterday and scored a run as well, accounted for all six of the Marlins' runs in yesterday's win over the Mets. So that's pretty encouraging, I guess. But no doubt happy for Lewis Brinson. And at this point, you know, he's going to get his ABs. So let's see him make the most of them right now. And I'm happy that he's been able to have some victory moments there. And yesterday was probably his best, if not one of his best games in a Marlins uniform. Also, the rest of the Marlins bullpen holding pretty strong in yesterday's outing as well, minus Anthony Bass, who, geez, that guy is just brutal. He gets the hold, though. He does get the hold. And if that doesn't prove that holds are the dumbest stat in sports, not just baseball, holds are the dumbest stat in sports. I don't think that the all-time leader in holds even knows that he's the all-time leader in holds. And Anthony Bass though gets a hold even though he was just brutal again he's one of those players too where the 373 ERA which isn't great for a reliever but it should be way worse I mean he has really been worse than that and the crazy thing about it too and I tweeted this out yesterday is that the Marlins have delved out two multi-year contracts in the last several seasons one is to Anthony Bass and the other is to Corey Dickerson. Now we go into this offseason where the Marlins should probably target some free agents as they have some more money. Uh, they have some more capital thanks to the new TV deal, as I always mentioned. The naming rights to the stadium help, but also you have $12 million off the books with Starling Marte, almost $9 million off the books with Corey Dickerson. You'd expect them to spend some money, but I don't know how much confidence they have in themselves to delve out multi-year deals that they feel good about after the fact that the last two multi-year deals they've given out have been pretty much not great. I would say disaster is right on the edge of what they were. I mean, Dickerson was not good at all. Disaster might be a bit extreme, but given the fact that the Marlins don't spend that kind of money, relatively speaking, that was a bit of a disaster. And for the one reliever that the Marlins actually give more than a one-year deal to, to be Anthony Bass, not great either. 
but we'll see. I mean, you might as well just keep rolling him out there at this point and seeing if he can figure it out because you got another year of him next year as well. There's no way the Marlins are going to just cut ties with him and pay him to not pitch for them. So he'll be there next year. Just hopefully it'll be in a role like the sixth inning and be more of a middle reliever because the Marlins bolster the bullpen in other ways as well. Dylan Floro with a nice four-out save. That was really good to see as well. And I'm glad the Marlins held on to Floro at least, especially going and trading Curtis. I'm okay with that because they go and get a catcher and that should help them a little bit with the catching depth in Peyton Henry. But still overall, you, you got to hold on to a couple of those guys. So I'm glad that they still have Floro. Bender would have been available in my eyes for a certain kind of package, like a Nick Anderson type of package. And I don't think he had enough of the track record to be able to garner that type of return. So I'm happy with the Marlins holding on to Mender as well, who seems like he's settling in on the bump too. I'm also going to talk about the recent article I wrote for JustBaseball.com where I recapped the deadline and talked about how that sets the Marlins up for this offseason. Because obviously, all of us, myself included, we want to see what the answer is for center field and for catcher. And to get that answer potentially before the offseason, that would have been great. But you know what? They didn't really have to do that. And they didn't do it because the right opportunity didn't present itself. The Brandon Marsh deal that almost went through, I know not everybody agrees with me on that one, but I would have done Max Meyer straight up for Brandon Marsh any day of the week. But it sounds like there was more to that deal. The Angels wanted more, and they backed out for a reason. The Angel, And that's at least what it sounds like, is that the Angels were the team that kind of backed out. I would assume that that has to do with the fact that they don't have a ton of confidence in Joe Adele, which how could you? He's hardly walking in AAA. Yes, he's hitting a ton of home runs, but everybody's hitting home runs in AAA West. As I point out, there is a average OPS of 821 out there. So obviously, it's going to be a little bit of one of those situations where you have to take it with a grain of salt. Remember, Isan Diaz and the PCL. It's basically the PCL. AAA West is the PCL. And Joe Adele is, is a really talented player but I don't think you can count on him to be an impact big league player. And that's why they probably are a little bit hesitant to part with Brandon Marsh. If I'm the Marlins, I'm not touching Joe Adele with a 10-foot pole because you've got enough of those types. You've got enough of those swing and miss freakish athlete plus raw power guys that don't walk. You don't need another one. And I think that's why the Marlins were really focused on Brandon Marsh. Maybe they can revisit it at the end of the year. If Marsh does not quite hit his stride in the last few months of the season and Max Meyer finishes really strong and the Angels say, hey, we really need pitching and Meyer's going to be big league ready next year, then maybe the Marlins look at it. Maybe they can pull it off with Eater and some other pieces. That's a deal that you got to look at. Regardless, the Marlins did their due diligence and that's all you can really ask for at this point. What's the point of forcing a deal at the deadline if you can just satisfy this need maybe in the offseason where the price might not be as high? Because the report was from Craig Mish that the Pirates were looking for three top guys, whatever that means, three top guys. I'm assuming that would be Meyer, Blade, and Eater, or like anything of that nature. Although, if you ask Baseball America, Blade isn't a top guy. He's a 10th rated guy in their system, which blows my mind. And I'm sure he will quickly rise back up to the top of the Marlins rankings and back into the top 100. And Baseball America will pretend that nothing ever happened and that, that they didn't just totally drop him. But that's for another time. But, anyways, 
The Marlins did not need to meet that price. I love Brian Reynolds, and I think he's a stud. Probably one of the most underrated players in the game because he plays with Pittsburgh and he didn't have that high draft pedigree or that super high prospect, highly touted, talked about a lot type of allure that he has. But look at the, look at the numbers. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous, and he's 26 years old, just turned it, I believe, and has a ton of control and really does it all. That's a guy that I'm revisiting in the offseason. Maybe the Pirates decide that, you know what, we are further off than we thought. Let's cash in here. But the Marlins are going to have to give up a haul. If you don't like Max Meyer for Brandon Marsh, and I understand Brandon Marsh is not as proven as a Brian Reynolds, but there's a lot of moving parts there. And I could almost start talking about that right now, but I want to talk about that article in depth and all of the solutions that I present on JustBaseball.com. You can also read along there. The article is right on the main page right now at JustBaseball.com, and I will take you through some of my big moves in the offseason that I would do and how this deadline set the Marlins up for that. But before I get there, let's talk about Jesus Lizardo's debut. And let me tell you this, do not underestimate the nerves that Jesus Lizardo had going into this outing. He is very, very happy to come back home. I can pretty much confirm that. And it's really exciting to see him, another South Florida kid, back home. And the Marlins have done a good job of going to get the South Florida kids, right? They go get Griffin Conine, they bring him back. Now they bring back Jesus Lizardo. And Lizardo grew up a Marlins fan. So now he gets to pitch in the Marlins uniform. You saw him with the 9 four on his glove as a local kid that went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, Parkland guy. And man, this guy is just so damn talented. I mean, he was a top 10 prospect in baseball for good reason. And just look at the stuff. I understand that the command is the issue and there are some inconsistencies with his delivery, which I'll get into, but the stuff is ridiculous. I mean, he racks up 17 whiffs in that outing and it was across his entire arsenal. He gets six whiffs on the sinker, six whiffs on the changeup, five whiffs on the curveball as well. And that was what was really impressive to me is that he was going left on left with the change and getting ridiculous swings and misses. He was burying sinkers in on lefties with crazy swings and misses. The curveball, which is dominant to lefties, was also really difficult on righties. He got Javi Baez swinging and missing like a fool on that, doubling and tripling up on it. And I would say the biggest thing to watch with a guy like Lazardo and with prospects in general, sure, you can look at the pitches and the quality of pitches. And yeah, if it looks like it moves a lot, that's great. But the hitters react is a big tell. If a hitter takes a really bad swing and then takes another bad swing, or you just see this level of what was that in the hitter's reaction, then you know that there's a level of deception and just nasty stuff that works off of itself really well. And that's exactly what we saw with Lizardo. I go back to a specific at-bat with Dominic Smith. And Dominic Smith is a reverse splits guy. So he mashes lefties. 323 hitter against lefties coming into this game and struggling against righties. And Lizardo goes change up, left on left change up against him. And it was almost in the other batter's box. It was about seven inches off the plate away. And he just waved at it. And then you have him go to the sinker down and in. And it ends up tailing in on Dominic Smith, probably off the plate inside about six inches. And Smith swings at that as well. You saw him turn around to the umpire and say, was that a strike? And the umpire says, hell no, it wasn't a strike. And you see Dominic Smith go, man, and he's shaking his head. And those are the kinds of reactions that when you see that from a hitter, 
you know that this pitcher has special, special stuff. And the only thing that was really holding Lazardo back from being essentially unhittable in that outing was the command. I mean, there was a level of just non-competitive pitches that he made, right, where you would see two balls in an in at bat where it would be not even offerable, meaning that it would either bounce 54 feet or be way down and in, a pitch that a hitter can basically give up on the second it leaves his hand. So it serves no real purpose. That is where it's really hard. You're giving away balls, which means you're giving away probability. Every count is a different probability. An 0-0 count versus a 1-0 count heavily swings into the hitter's favor. So every non-competitive pitch you make, you give away probability. And that's exactly what Lizardo was doing at times, especially in those middle innings of his outing, the second and third inning, where it got a little bit shaky there. And what I see with Lizardo is this. It's really just, I think, one simple little tweak. As a guy that just exclusively goes out of the stretch, there's times where he's just varying his speed to home plate with his lower half. And he's a bit quicker sometimes going towards home plate and then sometimes a bit slower. And when he's varying those speeds, it seems like the arm is not catching up sometimes or is a little bit ahead. Oftentimes, I would say more so it's lagging behind. And when the body is quicker to home plate, the arm isn't catching up as much. So if your arm's lagging behind your body, you're either going to lose that pitch arm side because your arm is trailing or you're going to try to tug it back over and that's where you're seeing him hit those right-handed hitters on the foot or missing down and into the right-handed hitters because his body is ahead of his arm and he's like oh crap I got to tug this thing back over and then you over tug it back the other way so that's exactly what it looked like really it just seems like an arm timing thing for Lizardo and I really think with a new set of eyes on him in a new situation in a new environment with Mel Stoudemire Jr. who I no, we, we really gas him up, but I mean, look at this Marlins staff, and it's not just the super talented pitchers. It's also the Zach Thompsons, no offense, and the Cody Petites, and some of those other guys that come up to the big leagues and unlock something. They totally unlock something. I mean, look at Zach Thompson's stats up until he came to the major leagues. They weren't good. I mean, it was to the point where when he got called up, I'm like, why? And he gets called up and just figures it out. And I really believe that it's going to be a simple fix for Lazardo, where it's just going to be a little bit of the timing with the mechanics, the release point, finding a repetitive release point. And I feel like some of that might be part of the issue of why he's had those shoulder problems is that he hasn't had a consistent arm slot. He's had that arm trail or lag a little bit, which is more strain on the shoulder. There's a lot of positives that can come out of this, not only just from the ability to repeatedly throw strikes, but also because he will be able to take a little bit of effort off of that arm. But the good thing, the really encouraging thing is that the VLO was way back up. And this was a longer outing. This wasn't just him out of the pen, where there was times where he was more in the low 90s in his starts. Now he seems like he's back to his form. He was up to 98 on that sinker and averaged 96 on the pitch as well. The changeup averages about 87. The curveball is a power curve at about 85 and then also mixes in the occasional four-seamer, which was at 98 miles per hour as well. I mean, the velo being up is great. It was up almost a full mile per hour with the sinker than from what it was before over in Oakland. Super encouraging in that regard as well. And I think a, a few tweaks could be all the difference in the world. But the fact that he was able to rack up six whiffs on the sinker, six whiffs on the changeup, five whiffs on the curveball, 
really solid as well. And what we really saw too is with that sinker, he's able to get a lot of ground balls. So not only does he have great swing and miss stuff, but he can get himself out of jams. We saw it with the Jeff McNeil double play ball and you saw him get fired up where he was like, okay, that's what I needed. And it helped him really ensure that he was going to get through five without breaking 90 pitches. That was all really encouraging. And the fact that his command wasn't on at all, I mean, it really wasn't on at all. And he only walked three batters and he was able to go five innings of three run ball. I really came away encouraged with that because that was not even close to the best that he can be. Not even close to it. I mean, he was off. He was battling himself most of the night. And I always say the best sign of a really good pitcher is a guy that's able to go out there and battle when his stuff isn't totally on. And that's exactly what Lizardo did last night. And I think he's going to continue to be able to do that. Sure, if his command's off, he's going to have some blow-up starts here and there. It is what it is. But I'm happy that he's working through it. I hope that they don't send him back to AAA because he's somebody that really needs to get that work with Stottlemyre. We saw, like I said, what it's done for some other guys that have gotten moved up and had the major league experience, but not just Stottlemyre. He's able to go talk to Trevor Rogers, a guy who has had command issues in the past, especially when he first came up in the bigs and has long levers and a lot of moving parts to his delivery. And now is a guy that really pounds the strike zone. Sandy Alcantara, another player with ridiculous stuff who uses a sinker, who uses a changeup and did not have the best command. I mean, you remember Sandy Alcantara Contra through his first season and a half was up and down from AAA. The Marlins sent him down to work on his stuff, to work on his command. So this is not something that is Lizardo exclusive. And he was about 23 years old, Alcantara, when that was happening too, and a top prospect and not nearly as highly regarded as Lizardo. So he's going to be around some really good guys that can help him. Pablo Lopez never had command issues, but also can probably just help in regards to being able to pound the strike zone, the mentality on the mound. Lizardo's a hard worker smart kid. I'm really expecting that environment here with the Marlins. And not to say that Oakland doesn't have that environment. I just think it's going to be a lot better for him in Miami. I mean, in Oakland, the guy is really just trying to battle to stay uh, and have some relevancy on a competitive team, pitching the playoffs in his first two seasons out of the bullpen. Then through the regular season going into the rotation, back to the bullpen, you're kind of in survival mode. You're not even focusing on how to improve your ability long term. It's more so, how can I just battle to stay here right now and help this team right now? Now he's in a situation where, of course, he wants to win ball games. but let's focus on the development. Let's focus on you, Jesus Lizardo. Let's focus on you unlocking more for the future. And whatever happens in some of these ball games is whatever happens. I don't really care. I want to see you continue to develop. And if you win, like you did last Last night, that's a bonus. I'm going to talk about Alex Jackson and Dilla Cruz briefly in just a moment. But before I get to that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses, contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their playoff runs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts also brought to you by 
Built Bar. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors, including coconut, cherry, barcia, raspberry, mint, brownie, double chocolate, salsa, caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. My favorite flavor is the mint brownie, but you cannot go wrong. They've got a flavor for everybody. And the best part is they are low in calories, low in sugar, low in fats, low in carbs, but high in protein. What else could you want from a protein bar? They're all tasty, covered in chocolate and healthy, of course. And did you know that Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team? If you go to Built.com and use a promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at Built.com. So let's talk about the other debuts. De La Cruz was a few days ago, and then Alex Jackson, and then, of course, my long-term Marlins plan here, the article on JustBaseball.com, where I talk about what the Marlins are set up for in what I call a pivotal offseason, because I think this is the most pivotal offseason here for the Marlins. So to talk about Jackson... Look, he's got a lot of swing and miss. There's definitely some swing and miss in that game, and there's no doubt about that. But he did look pretty solid behind the dish. There were some wild pitches slash pass balls, but it was his first time working with Jesus Lizardo, who was definitely erratic and has some hard stuff to handle back there. I thought they did a good job working together. I thought Jackson overall was really strong behind the dish. And look, he's going to take some time at the plate. He has not been great overall in his big league appearances, but is absolutely mashed in AAA. Yes, we've heard this story before, and with Jackson, there's, again, just a ton of concern around the swing and miss, but for what the Marlins got him for, I mean, to just trade Adam Duvall, who you just signed away in this offseason from the Braves, and then you weren't going to pick up the $7 million option next year, you send him back to the Braves, you get the Braves' young catching prospect, he's still only 25 years old, And frankly, is he really any worse than Jorge Alfaro even right now? If he's not hitting, which I still think he'll be able to get it going a little bit at the plate, he's better defensively than Alfaro, and I don't think he's going to hit that much worse. I mean, it's pretty hard to hit that much worse than Alfaro and Sandy Leone. Jackson... Swing and miss has been a big part of his game throughout the minor leagues. He's also hit a ton of home runs, 70 raw power, former first-round pick by the Mariners, I believe. Back in 2014, he went sixth overall. Jackson's got the power. He's got enough ability, I think, to be able to be, at the very worst, a backup catcher in the major leagues. But he's cheap. He's 25 years old and controllable. And my plan in this piece was that I actually think you either trade for Contreras or you sign Darno. Darno is going to be the only free agent where you are really going to make an impact on your catching position. But with Contreras, I think the price is going to go down a little bit now that this entire year of control is gone. Remember, the last time the Marlins really talked in depth on Wilson Contreras, he had double the control. Right, It was two seasons of control. Now he has one season of control. The price will be cheaper. Also, some of the prospects that the Marlins talked about, some didn't do as well, but some have done much better. I would say that the Marlins would be able to pull off a similar type of deal, maybe a little bit of a slimmer asking price from what the Cubs were demanding, and it makes no sense for the Cubs to keep him at this point. They were they did a great job, I'll say this. They did a great job of bringing in a ton of prospects for a bunch of expiring players with Rizzo, with Baez. I have no idea, no idea how the Mets gave up Pete Crow Armstrong for Javi Baez. I don't know what in the world kind of trade that was. And then they also got some good pieces for Bryant. They got some good pieces for Kimbrel. 
given that they got Nick Madrigal. So they did a good job overall, but they're not done. They need a lot more replenishing in that system. And I'm expecting them to deal Contreras. The Marlins should be the first team up. They have as much prospect capital as anybody to get them. And we've talked about this time and time again. It just makes the most sense. And then you still have an Alex Jackson maybe behind him and a really young and exciting catching room where you have a guy that's under 30. That's one of the best hitters now on your team in Wilson Contreras. And then you have Alex Jackson, who always has the chance to figure it out and at least is a bat with some thump off the bench rather than some of the other backup catchers that the Marlins have had in the past. And Jackson can continue to focus and work on that defense. The one thing that's interesting about Jackson, and I think can project him as a realistic outcome, is that he mashes lefties, like demolishes lefties and doesn't swing and miss nearly as much against southpaws and has that 70 grade raw power. I could see a Mike Zanino type of outcome for Alex Jackson as the defense continues to come along. And that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, especially if that's your backup. But even if the Marlins worst case scenario, get that outcome out of him and Mike Zanino type in the meantime, that's not the worst thing. And he does hit lefties really well. And that's something to keep an eye on as the Marlins continue through this season here, because I'm expecting Alex Jackson to get a ton of at-bats. The Marlins are going to move on from Alfaro. They should have done it before this year, uh, but I'm okay with them giving him one more year to figure it out. I was obviously, you know, where I stood going into this year, I thought the Marlins should have addressed the catching position, but realistically, even if they did address the catching position, they're not they're not over 500 right now. So it's a moot point and they can go figure it out after the season, but they might as well see what they've got in Alex Jackson. So he's going to get a ton of at-bats, I think in a huge audition the rest of the way here. Uh, As for Brian De La Cruz, we've got to see more. I mean, he has had some decent at-bats, but you can really see him uh, getting woken up to what is a major league breaking ball. That has definitely been something that, especially in the last game, saw him waving at some pitches that, were way out of the zone. And while he was not striking out a ton in AAA and doesn't have a ton of strikeout history, when you get to the major leagues and see a major league breaking ball, it's a different animal. So we'll see how he adjusts to that. I mean, like I said, the the strikeouts have not been a big issue for him in the past, but it's a different animal at the major league level. So we'll keep an eye on that. But again, Brian De La Cruz is another guy that should just get as many at-bats as possible. Just keep rolling him out there. There's no reason not to. See what you got here. But worst case scenario, you probably have a solid fourth outfielder, a better fourth outfielder than Magnara Sierra going into next year. And that'll kind of segue me in here to my Marlins plan and some of what I talked about for what they should do this offseason. Obviously, I would love to see them do some crazy stuff and I could sit here and say, sign Correa and do this and do that. And all of those things would be really exciting. But I'm going to give you my most realistic outcome here of what I think the Marlins should do and could do if I were in charge here. But there's definitely some realistic options. So uh, let's go through them. And if you want some more in-depth analysis on it, definitely check out the article at JustBaseball.com. So you look at the free agent market in center field, not great, not great at all. You look at the free agent market at catcher, not great either. For that reason, the Marlins probably have to address one of those via trade and then see if they have an option that they can find that will slot into center field. And that's exactly what I do here. So the trade is for Wilson Contreras. I think you got to go do it. They can easily pay the price, even if it's a little bit more. Obviously, it's going to be a bit tough if you don't extend him or aren't confident in extending him. And maybe there's going to be some sort of verbal agreement there where 
you will make the deal contingent on at least even a verbal from Wilson Contreras that he is open to negotiating and extending in Miami. He doesn't necessarily have to sign a deal upon the trade, but if he's open to it, I think that's enough for you to pull the trigger. And I don't see how Contreras wouldn't want to play in Miami, especially with the Marlins pitching staff and where this team is starting to get to. I think it's a great situation for him. The Marlins it's a no-brainer to pay a Wilson Contreras. He's still not going to cost as much as JT Real Muto would have costed, and also it wouldn't have made as much sense to pay Real Muto through those rebuilding years. Now you can pay Contreras. Your pitching is cheap and controllable. A lot of your offensive pieces are cheap and controllable. That seems to make the most sense for me when you look at the lineup and when you look at the future. Also keep in mind the just straight boost and jolt that he gives this Marlins team, given what they've been getting from the catching position, the worst offensive output in all of baseball. Then you're getting one of the better offensive catchers in the entire game and a defensive boost as well. Huge, huge jolt. The guy that I'm looking for in center field, I would love Chris Taylor. I would, of course, love Chris Taylor. I don't see L.A. letting him go, and I don't see him letting L.A. go. So the Marlins can try, but I don't really see that happening. The target that I really like is Mark Canna of the Oakland Athletics. I highly doubt that the Athletics are going to pay Mark Canna, and Mark Canna can play center field. He's played three dozen games out there this year from when Ramon Laureano was hurt. He's a plus defender in the corners, and he's a very solid defender in center. He's a plus runner, really sneakily a good runner, and a very, very good hitter. I mean, somebody that has been around the 135 WRC plus range over the last three seasons, walks a ton, can steal bags, has power. I like him because... He's a year younger than Starling Marte, probably won't have as high of a price tag as Starling Marte, and while he is very athletic, his game is not as dependent on his athleticism. Walks a ton, like I said, has the power, so does Marte, but also is just a well-rounded hitter that, put simply, does not need to rely on the athleticism. I don't really know how else to put it, but that's what I really like about him is that I doubt he's going to be looking for four years. I doubt anybody's even going to be offering him four years, whereas Marte feels like he might be able to get that. Three years for a guy like Canna would make a ton of sense. You put him in center field. He can definitely anchor there for the next year or two, and then you move him to a corner, and he's fantastic out there as well. Those two guys make this a much better-looked lineup. I mean, think about this. It would be Jazz Chisholm leadoff, Mark Canna 2, Jesus Aguilar 3, assuming there's a DH, Wilson Contreras 4, Garrett Cooper 5 in right field. Yes, yes, I know he's not good out there and also injury risk, but he just got hurt at first base. The guy can get hurt anywhere. He can get hurt at the plate. You got to just wheel him out there, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that more. But you got Jazz, Canna, Aguilar, Contreras, Cooper, Lewin Diaz at first base, batting sixth. Brian Anderson, seventh, playing third base. Jesus Sanchez in left field, batting eighth. And then Miguel Rojas at shortstop, batting ninth. That's a really solid lineup with the right starting pitching, which we know they've got the good starting pitching out there, especially if Lizardo continues to figure it out. They just need to invest in the bullpen as well, which I'll get to. But what I like about this lineup too is that you have a lot of contingency plans, especially if there's a DH. So let's say Garrett Cooper gets hurt. You'd hope to God that one of J.J. Boudet, Peyton Burdick, or, of course, Griffin Conine are ready to go at that point. But if Lewin Diaz is struggling, let's say, then you can slide Cooper to first, 
and call up any of those guys. Or you could slide Aguilar to first and put somebody else in the DH spot. Like there's so many different things that you can do and ways that you can slide around this lineup that even if there is a little bit of a reliance on Jesus Sanchez and Lewin Diaz to be able to perform, that you have all of those prospects that you're hoping at least one of those guys will figure it out and come up and make an impact. So I really feel like that could be the way to do it and the way to go into this year. Not the most exciting thing in the world, but it also saves you some money there and some opportunity, maybe some assets to address the bullpen. I would be calling, and I don't like trading for relievers ever, really, because it is a steep price to pay when there is so much volatility in the position. But given the way the Indians are, I guess they'd be the guardians at that point. Uh, I would call on Emmanuel Classe or James Karinchak. Maybe they want to trade one of those two guys as a rebuilding team. I don't even know what they are. I, I don't know if they're rebuilding, but I feel like a lot of their good players are perpetually available. I'm calling on Class A. I'm calling on Karinchak. Maybe the Marlins can get one of those two guys. They're controllable and the Marlins won't have to spend for in the bullpen for a while, which they clearly don't love to do. And you can go sign, and I believe you really have to invest money in this bullpen this year. So if you're not putting a ton of money into your lineup here, go get a Rizel Iglesias. Like, just go do it. I mean, why not go get an established arm in the back of your pen? Rizel Iglesias makes a ton of sense. He has been really solid, should be attainable. You can also go get Michael Givens, Brad Hand, I think would be affordable, Ryan Tapera, Daniel Hudson. There's plenty of others. I think you go get one arm that you pay up for, maybe trade for another, or go pay up for two arms. Just do it. It's not really that difficult to invest in the bullpen instead of citing it as a strength with no experience in the back end. Get a little bit of experience, then you're going to add those guys, uh, the two experienced arms to an Anthony Bender, to a Dylan Floro, to the decent core that you already have in there, Richard Blyer, and I think that ends up being a pretty decent bullpen with the starting pitching and a more balanced and consistent lineup. This could be interesting here, and if this team's competitive, you'll still have a ton of prospect capital to make some additions at the deadline. Not the most exciting in the world. I'm sure that I'll shift around and make another plan as well, but this is kind of my low-end, realistic, attainable plan that I think makes the Marlins much more competitive next season. You can let me know what you think, but I think it also doesn't block the prospects, which you don't want to count on prospects because we've seen what that's done in the past, but you also don't want to block them. And the Marlins hopefully will have all of them ready in terms of Burdick, Bleday, and Conine by next year. And we'll see how it goes. Not all of them are going to pan out probably, but you don't want to block them either and you want to get them their ABs. And this is the perfect way because one of Cooper, Aguilar, Jesus Sanchez, or Diaz is going to struggle or go down at some point, And that's when the prospects will come up. So it seems to just make all the sense in the world. The rotation, that's going to take some time to figure out. And that'll be another episode as well. As always, thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.